I'm sure if people saw Lion King, Lion King fans, not the new one, the new one with the real life action, that was dumb, as dumb as could be. I was like, I wish they never had made that. But the cartoon, people remember Simba. Simba was very, very excited about becoming king. As a matter of fact, he was so excited he broke into a little song and Zazu kept interrupting him as he was singing. He started singing something like this, don't worry. You're like, no, please, Pastor Mark. It's way too early for you to be singing. I'm just going to, you know, do the poem part of it. I'm going to be a mighty king, so enemies beware, Zazu. Well, I've never seen a king of beasts with quite so little hair. I'm going to be the main event like no king was before. I'm brushing up on looking down. I'm working on my roar. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Free to run around all day, Zazu. Well, that's definitely out. Free to do it all my way. I think it's time that you and I arranged a heart-to-heart. Kings don't need advice from little hornbills for a start. Everyone look left. Everyone look right. Everywhere you look, I'm standing in the spotlight. Not quite yet. Let every creature go for broke and sing. Let's hear it in the herd and on the wing. It's going to be Simba's finest fling. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. I think Simba's perception of what it means to be king bodes well with the world. Sarah, if you can reach in my backpack, I have a pointer thing on one of the side pockets. I forgot to bring that up here. Uh, So, Simba's perception is king. This is not me. You might think this is me. This looks like me. This is actually my brother, Eric. I think this rule lasted for all about two minutes. And uh, this is the idea that we have of what it means to be a king, don't we? When we think of a king, we think of a gold crown, we think of a scepter, we think of a cape. uh, And much of the world today has this in mind. We picture of someone who rules, as Simba was saying, with might and power. I'm working on looking down, right? He's looking down upon people, working on his his roar. One that is surrounded with pomp and circumstance and one who exalts themselves above everyone else. One who conquers through strength. We want leaders like that. We We have put people into power like that. And we want them to carry out our own interest to satisfy our need for an earthly kingdom. And when they are willing to do that, we are willing to follow them wherever they lead. Throughout history, look throughout history. Rulers of power, rulers of might, pride, arrogance, not much has changed in the world today. Today we are going to look at the kingship of Jesus Christ. And what we are going to see is that Jesus Christ is a very, very different kind of king. Israel didn't understand this. His own disciples didn't understand this. And folks, as I look across the landscape of Christianity in America today, I think some churches don't understand this. You would think that they've never read this passage. 
that they have forgotten the nature of Jesus' kingship and the whole point of His mission. Not to make an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. As long as you and I are here on earth, and until He returns a second time as a different kind of king than the first time, His primary mission as king needs to be presented in the way that we're going to read about today. It needs to be presented by His subjects in such a fashion, and it needs to be understood that this is what He was all about. We can't get this wrong, because if we do, we miss the whole point. We're going to look at three features of this passage, three features of this presentation. Uh, the first one is the crowd's expectation, verses 12 through 13. So follow along, John chapter 12, starting at verse 12 there. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. I might have shared this with you before, but I remember a time I was working at Long Creek, and we heard that President Obama was coming to Maine. And Long Creek is right down the street from the jet port. So the, our bosses told us that, and they were going to allow us some time. The only time we were allowed to get out of that prison was to go outside, and they were going to allow us to kind of set up this little welcoming parade. And, and you, would have thought, you would have thought that it was like the king of Queen of, queen of England coming to, to visit Maine. So, and I remember, even though, you know, I, I didn't vote for Obama, which is okay, um, you know, but I still respected the office, and for me to get a chance to see a man of such stature and power, it was just a great opportunity. So I went along with the throng, and people were making signs. They had all these signs, and you should have seen, it's right off of, uh, I think, Westbrook Street, and everyone was lined up, and we were waiting we took some time out. We were waiting. I think we were waiting for about a half an hour. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing all the black cars coming. People are like going bonkers. You would have thought that it was just the greatest event of all time. People are waving. And I saw him. He waved right at me. And he's like, yo, man, what's up? And he's like, I'm like, oh. <laughs> he didn't really do that. He had a tattoo. He said, Mark, I love you. And what's interesting is because the, the expectation with, with not just Obama, but with so many leaders is what? This guy is going to save us. This guy is the answer to our problems. This guy is going to save our kingdom. And not much has changed. Over the years, people have looked to humans to save their kingdoms. Still the same. That's kind of what is going on here. And their actions, their actions and their words betray their expectation. What's the crowd's expectation of Jesus? Why are they so excited? 
Why are they so happy? If they knew, right, that Jesus was actually coming to Jerusalem to die, do you think this party would have been happening? Absolutely not. No way. Why are they excited? Well, first is what they do. They wave these palm branches, and it's really interesting to see the development of the palm as a national symbol for Israel. Um, So here the crowds reveal their expectations, as I said, in two ways. The first way is waving of the palm branches. A few centuries earlier, these branches had already become this national symbol, and they became a symbol when Simon the Maccabee drove out the Syrian forces, forces. And this is a passage from the Apocrypha, and it says this, There was a great celebration in the city because this terrible threat, very, very important, to the security of Israel had come to an end. Simon and his men entered this, the fort singing hymns of praise and thanksgiving while carrying palm branches. Also, apocalyptic visions of the end utilize this imagery of palm branches. Later on, you could see the coin. So that coin was minted during the Bar Kokhba revolt in 132 to 135 AD, and what's on it? Palms. What's interesting is when the Romans put down that revolt, they also minted coins, and they put palms to kind of as a little poke and fun at their failed revolt. What are they thinking? What do they want Jesus to do? They want Jesus to, exactly what they say, to save them now. That is what Hosanna means. So it's not only in the palm branches, this nationalistic symbol. So it would be like us, you know, waving the flags. And here comes our president, whoever it is. And we're so excited because we've placed all of our hope in him. So what they say is taken from Psalm 118, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is what the temple choir would sing each morning during the Feast of Tabernacles, but its meaning is revealing because it means to save now. This is the world's type of salvation. They could absolutely care less about eternity. They want Jesus to come in now, and they want him to overthrow the Roman government, and they want him to set up this earthly kingdom. This is what they were looking for. This is the ideal. But we don't need to talk too much about that because that's not what we're after, right? That's not what the world's after. Setting up earthly people, giving people power in order to usher in their own kingdom. They wanted Jesus as a king, but for their own kingdom. And they wanted him to accomplish their mission by defeating their enemies. They wanted a physical, national, worldly salvation, and they wanted Jesus to achieve it for them. And guess what? When he doesn't do that, those cries for Hosanna are crucify him. That's the same people. That's what they wanted. And we can look at that, and we can say, well, we're not, we're not quite like that. We're not looking 
to set up an earthly kingdom. These guys were unbelievers. I can understand that from unbelievers. That's what unbelievers are going to place their hope in. That's, who, that's what they're looking for. Year after year after year after year, they are looking for an earthly savior. What, what makes me wonder is why people who have a king already are looking for an earthly Messiah to save their own little kingdoms. Folks, I don't like to talk too much about politics from the pulpit. But I'll tell you what, part of my job is, is to care for you as a, as a church and to keep us where, where we are right now. Move us forward, but to keep us, keep our priorities where we are right now. Our church doesn't fall into this trap, and I am so thankful for it. But I tell you what, it's out there. It's out there so much that I'm reading stories about these rallies and how Jesus Christ and our candidate are being combined into one Messiah. The flag and the cross are being brought together. Folks, that's not our mission. That's not why he came. We're not here for an earthly kingdom. And we can't hijack Jesus Christ and use him for our own goals. But that's exactly what's happening. And the world is seeing Jesus as someone who comes in and not loves them, but tramples them. Because of what his people are doing. We have to be so careful. It shouldn't happen. And it's out there. And the world is seeing a church not that loves them, but a church that hates them. Don't get me wrong. We need to be involved, hands down. It's very, very important. We need to fight for what is right. We need to stand up for truth. But that is, our, our primary goal, our primary goal is not this world, is not our kingdom, is not our party, whichever one it may be. Not our goal at all. And the guy from Abba, I don't know if you were at the, any of you were at the banquet, but what a wonderful, wonderful job to, he, he, he did. And he, he was right, you know, bad things happen in this world when good people do nothing, but it's the way that we do it that matters so much and that speaks to our king. I remember one time working in the root cellar, and I might have shared this before, I had a guy there and, and the, the, one of the courts had just said something about Christians singing hymns during Christmas time and they couldn't sing hymns. And this guy said to me, you know what we should do? We should all get a whole bunch of people and just go sing hymns really loud outside their office. And I'm like, why do we want to do that? And he goes, because they're the enemies. And I said, are they? And I had to take, take, a ta- take a second and just explain and say, hey, those are the people Jesus Christ came to save. 
And the way that we present ourselves to this world is the way the world is going to see Jesus. And if the world sees us as just caring about this kingdom, they're going to miss it. And we can't get this wrong. This brings us to the second feature is the king's correction. Verses 14 through 15. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Anyone know who this guy is? If you do, I will give you $10. That's not a lie. I have 10 My wife's looking at me. No, you won't. <laughs> I have 10 bucks in my pocket. Not in this pocket, in my wallet. Anyone? Oh, I owe so all. Oh, man, I forgot you were in here. Ian knows it. All right, Sarah, pay up. Pay Ian. <laughs> Niccolo Machiavelli, right, was a Renaissance era philosopher, politician, and writer. His writings greatly influenced modern political science. The following is an excerpt from the School of Life's YouTube video on some of his views. This is what he thought. Machiavelli believed that to be effective, political leaders needed to be, number one, ruthless. Number two, tyrannical, not empathetic, and not just. His book, The Prince is a short manual of advice for princes. So if you want to learn how to become a prince or a princess, maybe a princess, read his book. And the answer, in short, was to never be overly devoted to acting kindly. So don't be kind. Do not be nice because you will not succeed. To also know how to borrow every single trick employed by their, the most dastardly unscrupulous and nastiest people who have ever lived. So read up on those people, employ those tactics in your life, and you will succeed. He knew where our he he knew where he says this counterproductive obsession with kindness originated from Jesus Christ. He said the West was brought up on the Christian story of Jesus of Nazareth. He was a very nice man from Galilee who always treated people well. But, Machiavelli pointed out, an inconvenient detail to this sentimental tale of the triumph of goodness through meekness. He said, from a practical perspective, Jesus' life was an outright disaster. This gentle soul was trampled upon, humiliated, disregarded, and mocked. Judged in his lifetime and outside any divine assistance, he was one of history's greatest losers. Machiavelli was right on the first part. Machiavelli also thought that Christianity would do what? die out and come to an end. Well, he knows now, doesn't he? 
He's right on the first part. Jesus was kind. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was humble. But Jesus wasn't a loser. As a matter of fact, he won. The world takes notes from Machiavelli's playbook, doesn't it? But as the church, should we? How should we present ourselves? How should we present our king? I, I'm pretty certain, I'm pretty certain. So the way John sets this up, the way John sets this up, because it's different from the other passages, he doesn't go into the preparation for, the, for the, the donkey. The way he sets this up is very intentional because I don't think the people saw Jesus when they started saying this. I think just like the Obama illustration, everyone was ready. You know, they're all ready. They don't see him. And then all of a sudden, John introduces something. Oh, here comes your king on a donkey's colt. And, you can, and Jesus intentionally puts a down, reins on their literal parade. Because I think they would expect him to come in. Now, even though the donkey is still a symbol of royalty, I think that they would expect Jesus to come in charging on a white horse. Because that horse speaks to power, it speaks to strength, and it speaks to a mission and a purpose, doesn't it? He doesn't. And it kind of, and you're just like, oh, 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 well, there, he's on a donkey. Not even just a donkey, but a, a young foal of a donkey. If you look up, type in young foal, donkey, foal, whatever, all these adorable, cute images of this. I want a young, I just want to freeze a young donkey and like make it stay a young donkey for the entire time. You just, it, all it, it screams gentleness. And it, it makes you want to go to it. The horse, on the opposite, on the other hand, right? We Sarah and I walk by a horse farm. We go by this horse farm, and those beasts are nasty at times. Sarah got bit on her arm because she took a selfie like this, and the horse wrapped around. I guess that was a Mister Education. All right, you young folks might not get that. Some of you might get Mister Ed, but and but I those beasts are scary. They're like just, they exude strength and power. I've ridden on some horses before, and I'm like, these things are nuts. I can, I can see why people were afraid of the Calvary. But look at the little donkey. And Jesus says it. Or the scriptures say it. This is, this is the description of your king. What is he saying? I'm not that kind of king. That's not why I came. I didn't come to destroy my enemies. I've come to save them. That's why he came. That's what he's saying there. And we have to hear that for ourselves to understand. Listen to the message he's conveying to you. I'm not here to hurt you. Fear not. Don't worry. I'm meek. I'm gentle. I'm humble. You can come to me. 
You can approach me. You can trust me. I'm in it for your good. That's the picture he wants us to see. And and we have to understand the context of, of what is happening here because it's taken from Zechariah. And in that context, yes, he's a king. Yes, he's the Messiah. But the type of king they were expecting, he's not. And in that context of Zechariah, it says, I will remove the war chariots from Israel and take the horses from Jerusalem. The bows used in battle will be destroyed. Your king will make peace. He will rule from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. The Lord says, because of my covenant with you, that was sealed by the blood sacrifices, I will set your people free. Yes, end times, but first appearance of Messiah as king. He doesn't destroy his enemies. He doesn't take prisoners. He sets them free, and he does so by his blood. That's his kingship. That's his mission. Look at those qualities and compare the two. I look at myself and I, I don't, I, I'm a donkey for a different reason, folks. I, and I, I, I see myself as that fighting horse that, that just always wanting to fight, always wanting to battle, not gentle, not humble, not lowly, not meek. And looking at this, this convicted me today, just all of my interactions with this world, which one am I displaying? Because those qualities, if I'm displaying these qualities, then I'm properly representing my king because that's how he was. And right now, so many churches are presenting this battle horse king. Instead of what we see here before us. Israel didn't get it, but guess what? His disciples didn't get it either. And we have to see the absolute essential event that talks and describes and defines the kingship of Jesus Christ is his death and resurrection. That's what it says in verse 16. The disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand before, but guess what? You can't miss it afterwards. This is the type of king he is. He's one who dies for his enemies. He's one who's humble, who sacrifices himself to establish his kingdom. Who builds an army through the hearts and minds of individuals, forgiving them for their sins. That's him. The disciples didn't get even so much so that remember, when Jesus said, I'm going to die, Peter does what? No, no, you ain't dying. You are going to go and you are going to set up our kingdom. And James and John thought it was going to happen. That's why they wanted to do what? Sit at his right hand and his left hand. This is going to be great. And you would think that we're trying to do the same thing today. This is the king we represent. 
and his kingdom is what we fight for. The disciples were so certain about his unstoppable, unstoppable political establishment that they rebuked Jesus for his mission. That's crazy. But I'm wondering, would there be Christians today that would do the same? No, no, Jesus. Save us now. Save this kingdom. Jesus' crown was a crown of thorns. He didn't punish his enemies. He died for them. He loves them. He loves them. That's why he came. And you and I in the church can't understand Jesus or present him apart from this truth right here. This is who he is. This is how he conquers. And his kingdom is going to fill the world, which brings us to our third and final feature, the kingdom's expansion, verses 17 through 19. I don't know what August is going to be like. I am like, it is really, really hot up here. All right. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Global missions expert Paul Borthwick shared the following story to remind us how God's mission, God's global mission, the establishment of his kingdom, can be from anyone, anywhere, at any time. He says, a young man named Peter reminded me of a modern-day Philip. He said he stepped into a McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He noticed Peter working the counter. He said, I recognized him from our young adult ministry at church, and I knew that he had just graduated from Harvard University with a master's degree. Graduated from Harvard University, master's degree, Let's go to work at McDonald's. He said, he, he asked, he, what are you doing here? <laughs> Knowing all of these facts that he just graduated from Harvard. He said, well, the, Peter said, well, I, I graduated in May, but I went four months without finding a job. And I said to myself, I need to work, I need to earn some income. So I ended up here, at least for now. Immediately, the guy said, I am so sorry to hear that. But Peter interrupted and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be sorry. He said, God has me here. He said, this place is giving me awesome opportunities to share my faith. 
He said, I'm on a shift that includes a Buddhist from Sri Lanka, a Muslim from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while asking, would you like fries with that? Why McDonald? I always have a real strict purpose of why I choose certain illustrations. Why, why McDonald? I guess it would have been better if it was Burger King and he was proclaiming the only king, but it's McDonald's. So wh- why McDonald's? Because it's the last place that we think that a king is conquering and expand, expanding his kingdom, isn't it? And in a McDonald's of all places, how does his kingdom expand? That's how. It doesn't expand by war. It expands through witness. It expands through the testimony, those who have been touched by the king, those who have witnessed his works, those who have been raised by the dead, telling other people about him. That's what happens here. All those people, and then they're like, they're just coming by and they're like, hey, did you know about Lazarus? Did you hear Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? You're kidding me. I would like to meet him. Isn't that what we are to do? Isn't that how his kingdom grows? By us testifying to the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Hey, yeah, I used to not be this way. Let me tell you about, you know, Jesus raised me from the dead. What do you mean Jesus raised you from the dead? Well, I'll tell you what, I used to live for this world. I tell you what, I, I used to be my own king. And I used to chase after this, the things of this world, and I was never satisfied. And then someone told me about what Jesus did for me. And he died on a cross And he rose from the dead. And then if I believe in him, my sins are forgiven. And it's not this kingdom that I'm going to be a part of. It's his kingdom that I'm going to be a part of. Really? Are you serious? Yeah, let me. Can I meet him? Yeah, let me introduce you to him. That's how it works. It's as simple as that. That's what's happening here. And we know that throughout Scripture, that is the pattern that happens People testifying to the power of Jesus Christ. And we know that Paul, as a prisoner, did just that. Listen to what he says. Who, did, who, who knew about Jesus? These guys, those praetorian guards. What gets through that armor? The gospel. That's what gets through that armor. The whole praetorian guard became known about why I'm in here, that I'm a prisoner And then he ends it and he says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The king is living in the king's house. That's how Christ conquers. That's how he establishes his kingdom. One person, one heart at a time. Not by taking prisoners, but by using prisoners. And there is no king or army or kingdom that can stop him. What do the Pharisees say? It reminds me of like the three stooges. You knuckleheads, you, guys, you numbskulls, you guys are doing absolutely nothing. 
There is so much irony in their statement. So first of all, they, they tried to stop Jesus, right? We know they're, trying, they're plotting to kill him. When they do, it only, that's, the, that's what usher it, ushers in his kingdom. There's so much irony in what John is saying here. Because in, when they say the whole world has gone after him, they really mean just everyone. But we know the next verse tells us, guess what? The world has gone after him. And John is saying two things. Number one, you can't stop this kingdom. There is nothing stopping this kingdom. Number two, Jesus Christ didn't come just to save Israel. He came to save the world. And it's the king who dies for his enemies. That's how he does it. And later on, they're going to try to stop the growth of that kingdom again, aren't they? And and someone speaks up, Gamaliel speaks up and says, listen, be really, really careful. Because if this is from man, it's going to end. But it's from God? Guess what? Uh-uh. I hope that we're encouraged by that truth right there. It sometimes looks like we're losing. But remember the song that we sang. I'm fighting a battle you've already won. Our job is to just testify to that truth. That's how he conquers. Through us. Wherever we are, whatever job we have, testifying to His resurrecting power, waiting for His kingdom to come. We do it in the same way. We preach a king who was crucified. We fight for a kingdom not of this world. We do so with meekness, with gentleness, and with humility. Not wanting to destroy our enemies, but to save them. Testifying to the king who died for his subjects. Father, Lord, help us to apply this truth in all areas of our life. Help us to continually recognize your lordship and your kingship over us. Lord, and help us to present Christ the way that he wanted to be presented here not in a militaristic, confrontational fashion, but in a loving, humble, meek, and gentle one. Not presenting a king who's come to destroy his enemies, but one who's come to save them. Lord, forgive us for when we have failed to do so. We love you and we praise you and we pray that your kingdom does come Lord, and we pray 
that we can be part of that. In Jesus' name, amen.